You're listening to the Farmer's Guardian podcast. Hello, this is the Farmer's Guardian podcast. My name is Rachel Brown. And for this week's podcast, I sat down with NFU President Minette Batters for the final time as she bids farewell to her presidency after 10 years at the union and six years in the top position. We talked about the highs and lows of her role, her future concerns for the industry, her top tips for a successor and what her future plans are and how she is very much looking forward to getting back on the farm. Minette Batters, a decade at the NFU, six years at the top as president. What has been your biggest achievement to date? And what has been your biggest downfall? Oh my goodness. So, I mean, it's hard, I guess, to put everything together of what, what I feel the NFU's done. We've had some massive uh, legal wins that have been huge for our, our members. But I think the policy, the campaigning, the comms, bringing all of that together probably getting a million people to back our food standards uh, petition when we were in lockdown. Don't forget, we'd gone into lockdown in the March with, with COVID and there were so many things going on, not least that we were all working from our homes. We couldn't lobby anybody. We couldn't meet with anybody. And we had um, President Trump and Prime Minister Johnson determined to conclude a US trade deal in August. And so getting that standards campaign off the ground from home, getting everybody that came in to be a part of that, all farming organisations, all NGOs, chefs, Jamie Oliver to write an open letter, um, and then working with the mail on Sunday. And the numbers just ticked up and up. And, and at one point we weren't getting anywhere, so we got everybody to email their MP if, if they wanted to. 80,000 emails went to MPs. And yeah, I, I feel, you know, that definitely played a massive part in us never importing hormone treated beef or chlorine washed chicken. And the current prime minister has put that in writing. So that, that felt pretty massive. And in terms of any regrets or anything that you wish you got over the line, what would you say if there was one? I think there's nothing is ever as good as you want it to be. So, you know, we have worked on wherever there is a problem, whatever sector and um, you know we represent huge diversity from you know a horticultural board our poultry board through to livestock dairy crops uh, and and everything else in between so you never get everything you want but i think you know we we are constantly moving the dial forwards and so there's always an element of regret in that well it could have been better but i think you know well how i try and measure it is if the NFU wasn't there, who would do it? I mean, things like the situation with British Sugar and bringing them back in, you know, finalising the contractual agreement, um, the avian uh, flu compensation legal case, taking the government to the court, to court. You know, there's countless things whereby I tend to look at it, if it wasn't for the NFU, then who? You've worked with several Secretary of States. Was there one individual that you found was the most challenging to work with? Who was that? And in terms of the current Secretary of State and the Prime Minister, do you feel they really grasp what agriculture is all about? So, I, I mean, that, that Liz Truss moment, 49 days, you know, when Ranald Jawardner came into DEFRA, was all about harmonising Department of International Trade and DEFRA, 
that felt very sort of febrile really you know it felt a very odd and challenging environment um, and it was so such a whirlwind and so short you know it was over sort of before it had started and I can remember taking Ranel out party conference on farm going to the maddocks trying to explain the situation with seasonal workers mm -hmm. and it's sort of going right over over his head so that felt a, a very very challenging time um, as for you know Rishi Sunak very very different to his predecessors so you know he did the hustings obviously Liz trusted that we were really keen to get a hustings with both of them um, he committed at our headquarters right here that he would take a different approach to trade. He would host a food security summit. He would uh, set a new self-sufficiency target with annual reporting. That is still yet to happen. I really think it's essential that it does because otherwise food production becomes a poor relation. But he definitely has presented a different agenda. He's taken a different outlook on trade. Uh, he's recently walked away from the enhanced relationship with Canada because they were determined to get hormone-treated beef onto our marketplace. So, yeah, I think, I think very, very different to Sunak government to that of Truss and Johnson. Um, Steve Barclay, I think, if I'm honest, it's early days, and he is in the final throes of this parliament. So he is limited as to actually what he can achieve. And I mean, you know, his line to me and I know to other people has been, you know, what quick wins can we get over the line in the time that's left? So, you know, he's obviously the one that I've got to know the least because he's been in for such a short amount of time. And I think he's limited mm -hmm. in what he can achieve. Although, you know, we are you know, continually seeing an uplift in the SFI payments, the opening up of options, still quite a lot unknown though, coming forwards as we go into the summer. You became the first female NFU president. You said at the time you didn't want that to define you. I'm just interested in terms of your time over, the ten over your tenure, have you experienced any misogyny or sexism that you felt that, you know, it was an issue and something that you wanted to highlight? I, I think, you know, what upsets me probably more is when I get young professional women who are working in other parts of the farming industry, when they come up to me and say, how should they deal with it? And that can be challenges are, are online with social media, um, abuse that, that they don't feel they have a right of reply on. And that is probably what I find upsetting. For me personally, I, I think I've learned to take everything in my stride and it, and it doesn't have any impact. But if you're just setting out in the industry uh, and you're in that professional role, I, I speak to an alarming number of women who don't know how to cope with it and have asked me to go higher up and have conversations as to how they should deal with it. And that's concerning. Talking about social media, you said you, as a, some advice to the next NFU president, don't manage your own social media account. I'm just interested to hear from you in terms of how you've coped with social media and some of the abuse that you've experienced online and how bad has it got? I, I said I'm the first one that's obviously had a Twitter account. It's amazing how sort of new it is, really. Um, and uh, uh, my personal advice would be don't manage your social media account because, you know, or at least turn your notifications off because it is coming up sort of 24-7. And you can't carry out a conversation or right or wrong on social media. I mean, I think for positive stuff, it's, it's fine. It's got a really good place for information. It's great. We all grab things uh, in a way that is, is quicker than, than going through any other channel. But I think when things start to get heated or accusatory, 
then it becomes deeply unpleasant. And, you know, if you've had a really, really long day and you get back and you glance at it, it's just not the sort of thing that, that you want to see before you go to bed or on the you know back of a busy day, entering into another really busy day. So I think it's important that you look after your own mental health. And how did you cope with that though? Um, well, I think my suggestion speaks volumes probably by saying don't manage your own social media. Um, I think it's I think it's difficult, and I you know I represent forty six and a half thousand diverse businesses, and I'm always focused on trying to be respectful to all of them, all the different challenges they face. And sometimes when you you know social media is not a platform, I don't think to be having a lot of those conversations because you never do justice to it. And for the next NFU president, obviously you said don't manage your social media account, but if there was one other tip that you could give that person, what would it be? I think enjoy it. It's a huge privilege to lead this organisation. Um, huge responsibility, I have found it. Um, but, you know, whoever comes forward to lead it next will do it their way. Uh, and it's part of a team. You know, you are one player in, in a team and that's how I've always seen it. And I'm sure that they'll see it the same way. So what's next for Minette Batters? And, you know, there's a lot of speculation, rumours. Could you go into politics? You know, obviously you've said, you know, previously, I just want to get back on the farm and do farming what you love. But is there anything that you have in the pipeline or something that you would love to do or an organisation to work for? Mm. So obviously I'm an ambassador for Farm Africa. I feel very passionately about our own farming charities here. Um, I've accepted being president of my local show, which is Gillingham and Shaftesbury Show in 2025. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. And I don't really have, have an opinion yet on what I want to do because I think until I get out of this role, I have been 24 seven. I've never turned my phone off. I've never turned my emails off. And I genuinely am going to need to reboot myself effectively. And that I am looking forward to going back to the farm. I am going to be there for once for the whole of carving. I've never missed a TB test uh, ever since I've been doing this. But I just need to sort of step out. I think I'll be watching everything like a hawk. I really do. But I w it's really important to me to be respectful of the organisation, allow the new team to get on and do the job and... I've referred to it a few times, not become a sort of grumpy backbencher um, from the sidelines. So I, you know, I just want to leave um, the NFU to do what it does. So I, I won't be taking an industry role, uh, as it were. You won't see me as the next chairman of AHDB, put it that way. Um, looking, reflecting on the last 10 years, in terms of the state of the industry and agriculture, if we look at it now, did you expect to be where we are? And are, are you disappointed? There, you know, there are frustrations and concerns amongst farmers. And you know, we've seen protests happening in Wales. There is a real, it feels like a crunch point at the moment for farmers. So massive, no. So I, I never, in 2014, were full members of the European Union. We hadn't even had a referendum. So the journey since leaving the EU, COVID pandemic and war in Ukraine and everything that has gone with that. So massive inflation costs food security now really front and centre. I've been talking about it for years, but it, it's absolutely, you know, flashing red right now. Um, and where, where politics is, you look at what's gone on in, in Europe, you know, we face the case of losing red diesel subsidy ourselves. We made the case to Treasury and said we cannot afford to lose this. So I've got total sympathy with the DBV 
who I've worked with closely, uh, Jochen Rupfeld, who's their president uh, all the time we were in COPA. And, you know, they've managed to, to turn this around the same as when the Chancellor said, I have listened to the NFU, we will not be axing red diesel subsidy. But you look at what is going on in Wales and they are fighting for their livelihoods and for their families. And I think that is the message that you get coming out. And, you know, we made that, that focus on, on net zero, beating the government target with a red line. And that red line was, we are not downsizing on livestock or dairy. This is about an investment in climate smart agriculture, those policies, those incentives. This is not about taxing us out of existence. And that's why I think farmers in Wales are, are so frustrated because they see this, you know, you look at the figures, you know, job losses, financial income losses per farming business. Um, that's unacceptable and it is a red line and, and we will not allow it to be crossed, but we will, and this is what Alid and Abby have been saying, we will sit at the table and we will sort it out. And, you know, we take the same line here in England. You mentioned in a, a previous speech in terms of look after the NFU. And I thought that was quite an interesting language there. But in terms of right now, the biggest criticism that gets brought up in hustings is communication. Um, and also in terms of engaging with non-active members and engaging with those younger generation and bringing them on board. Do you feel they're getting it right at the moment here at the NFU with communication? Well, communication is, is always a challenge when people, our members, are communicating off so many different platforms. So the vast proportion of our members are not engaging on social media just because of their, their age demographic, effectively. They're reliant on email. That's why I do that weekly vlog so that everybody can access it. So we're constantly fulfilling a, a very broad requirement within the membership base. I, I mean, I personally think that we can over-communicate. We are communicating all the time. Um, so we tend to judge things on social media, which I think a lot of our members do not engage on, on social media. And uh, the fundamental thing for us is to make sure we communicate with our members first. And a lot of the challenges to us have been through non-members. And we have an absolute duty of care to be able to communicate a message that has absolute clarity in it to those members. And then obviously the social media platforms and, and everything else. So no, I, I don't accept it because I think, yeah, communication is key. It's challenging and we have different ways that we have to communicate to a very, very diverse membership. What are you going to miss about the role and what are you not going to miss? <laughs> um, I'm going to miss, I guess, two things enormously. The members um, going out and visiting individual farm businesses, going to meetings, the letters, the emails, the messages that I get from, as I say, such a diverse audience. Uh, I'm really going to miss them and I'm really going to miss our professional staff. So the fact that we are an organisation that is led by farmers for farmers, but I think the technical expertise on every area of farming, you know, we employ with our uh, group secretary relationship with the mutual, we employ nearly 700 people. It's a huge number of people. And I just feel very fortunate that I've been given great bullets to fire effectively. You know, the policy work that we do, um, it's just been a huge, huge privilege. In terms of your legacy, what is the one thing that you want to be remembered by? 
Um, oh gosh, what's the one thing? I mean, I have tried as hard as I can to lead and represent. Because if you don't take people with you, you need to represent those members. They are your lifeblood. But at this time, it's been really important to, to lead and have the solutions to government rather than just say, stop, 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 you know. So putting those solutions forwards. And, you know, I hope I'm remembered as someone who absolutely spoke truth to power at, at all times, who put solutions forward. And when we were founded in 1908, it was about restoring credibility and integrity with government. And I think as a leader at the NFU, those two words are as important now as they were in 1908. Because if you lose integrity, if you lose credibility, you cannot influence. And, you know, I've mentioned the story before, a senior member of staff here, um, when we had a big council meeting, he said, someone was saying, oh, you know, who opens doors here? And he gesticulated to me and he said, well, she doesn't open them, she just crashes through them. And I thought, as a Southwest livestock farmer, what a great compliment that was. And then I guess what I've worked out here is crashing through the door is the easy bit. It's what you do when you get to the other side of the door that really, really matters. And so often people think that anger and effectively thumping the table sorts it out. And I always say, you know, you can lose your call, you can leave the room, you can resign, but what do you do the next day? And I've made loads of mistakes. I would be the first to say that. But, you know, I've, I've given everything I personally can to this organisation. That's what I do feel. And I think people are really interested. The, the role is relentless and, and you are at the table in front of prime minister and politicians. In those moments where that frustration is really there, how do you keep your cool? Um, I suppose you just, you, you know, count to 10. I mean, I, I'm not saying there haven't been some pretty robust uh, conversations. I mean, people remember conference last year with Therese Coffey. It felt, you know, fairly acrimonious on that stage. But, you know, she called me afterwards, uh, thanked me for having her and said, would I come and have a, a drink in Parliament with her to sort out a few issues? Um, so I've always tried to make sure that I stick doggedly to making sure that our members' concerns are, are heard, first of all, with ministers. What they're concerned about is heard and that it is acted upon, you know. So getting these round tables off the investigations into the supply chain um, for, for broiler meat, um, for eggs and for fresh produce, you know, broiler meat's proving really hard to get over the line. We, we won't give up on it, you know, we will just keep going until, until we get it. And there's been multiple high profile people that obviously you've met through your time at the NFU, but if you could pinpoint one moment, one surreal moment, is there any? Um, I, I think definitely that uh, food security summit, the first ever food security summit at number 10 Downing Street, that only came about on the back of the hustings that we had, had held at Stony Park. You know, prime ministers have really mattered in this period of change in legislation. To get those things over the line, get a further million pounds for dairy, get a further four agricultural attaches, get those investigations into the supply chain, get a year's notice for growers on seasonal workers. Yeah, that, meetings like that, you think, yeah, all this work has, has paid off because it is 24-7. You know, I get calls from the media. The Today programme called me twice last week, once at half past 10, once at midnight, and that's how it goes. So you are, 
you are literally giving your heart and soul to that job. It's a really challenging time at the moment um, for British farmers, but in terms of looking ahead, what is your biggest concern? You know, the first role of a farmer is producing food. That's what it's all about. That's what I got involved in farming for myself. I've built that business and I want to leave my farm in a better state for my children to hopefully take it on. Um, and I think that's getting lost at the moment. You know, we, we have a sustainable farming scheme in Wales. We have a sustainable farming incentive scheme uh, here in England. They're all about farming less food and more for the environment. We absolutely have to level up the ambition. It has to be about producing food first and on the back of that delivering more for the environment. The danger now is that you transfer farmers onto a road that is truly unsustainable and is totally reliant on public money to prop those businesses up. And we've got to level it up. You know, farmers are food producers. They do many, many other things as well, but it is that food production bit that is, has been missing. This is why you're seeing the uprising uh, in, in Europe, and it's why you're seeing people so scared and so frightened in Wales. We're not far away from that in England, I hope, pre-election, that it will change, but at the moment it's tilted too far one way, and that's about less food, that's not good. And, you know, we can't shy away from the fact there are concerns around farm assurance, around Red Tractor, and looking back on your tenure, if you knew what was going to happen, and obviously we've had these reviews, would you have left earlier um, because obviously the, the, the abuse that you've received in terms, of, in terms of the red tractor and do you have any regrets with that? No and I certainly wouldn't have left earlier. I mean you know for our members there are a whole multitude of issues that are going on. You know our growers are really worried about returns from retailers in an ever more aggressive uh, marketplace, seasonal workers you know, the broiler sector, the same, you know, dealing with the cost of production, those are their concerns. For others, particularly in, in the cereal sector, yeah, assurance has been a concern. But, you know, in the middle of a COVID pandemic, if we call for a review of Red Tractor, people have thought we'd, we'd lost, you know, lost the plot. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been dealing with these big substantive crises and the time is right now to have the review of Red Tractor you know, and the NFU is resourcing it and it's costing a substantial sum of money. But we cannot just focus on what is wrong. We have to focus on what the solutions are. We need to be able to differentiate this market. And the NFU is up for doing that. I've chaired the Farming Organisations Roundtable, which has all farming organisations at it. I went to them the other day and I said, what do you want to add uh, in order to make these terms of reference fit for purpose? We have gone to them, we've asked them. We're paying for it all. I did say financial contributions, welcome from anyone. But it's going to be the AHDB and the NFU that leads this because we are passionate about getting it right. So I definitely wouldn't have left earlier. I'm delighted that I put that marker down that it's happening. And now we need to make it work. Yeah, there are calls from some farmers for the chief executive of Red Tractor to stand down. Would you ever consider being a chief executive of, the Red, Tra of Red Tractor in a future life? No. I wouldn't. And I personally think it's incredibly unfair to call for the chief exec to stand down. A chief exec is responsible to that board. That board dictates what they want to see happen. 
whether we like it or not, currently that board is whole chained owned. So you have everybody from the farming unions right the way through to the BRC and everybody in the middle, they're all vested interests, they all want different things. But you cannot blame one man. You've got to play the ball in all of this and, and not the person. So I, I absolutely don't think it's fair how he's been treated. And you've got to ask yourself who would want that job if it did come up after what has happened. You know, we need the best people coming into this industry to do those jobs. If you had to describe your last 10 years in three words, what would they be? Oh my goodness, it has been absolutely flat out. I mean, it really, it has been so busy and so fast moving. Um, but above all else, I think it's been an enormous privilege to do it. And it's just thanks to our farmer members um, that I've had the chance to lead the fight on their behalf. But three words? I can't sum it up in three <laughs> words. <laughs> it's it's been it look it's it's been extraordinary um it's been the toughest um and it's been the privilege those three words minette batters thank you very much thank you That was Minette Batters there, a decade of service to the National Farmers Union. Next week is NFU conference, of course, so we'll be updating you with everything that happens there and finding out who the next NFU president will be, as well as the rest of the new leadership team. Should be a good one. See you next week. Goodbye.